Hello, everyone. This is Xander Broffel, Director of Marketing Operations with CS2, and this is the Revenue Growth Architects podcast. Joining me today is Senior Director of Marketing Operations and our friend, Joy Martinez. How are you doing today, Joy? Hey, Xander. Thanks so much. I'm doing great. We've now had you on for for quite a few episodes. It's always comfortable when I'm hosting with you because we just go back and forth. We kind of see eye to eye with a lot of different uh, projects and topics. So I'm excited for today's episode. Yeah, I definitely am too. Thanks. Good, good. Well, speaking of today's episode, we are talking about just a riveting topic, <laughs> which is opt-in and opt-out, GDPR, compliance, privacy, all of the good stuff. And I, I say that a little tongue-in-cheek, but at the same time, if you do it right, this type of project can make a huge, huge impact on your business. What do you think about that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's maybe not compliance doesn't always sound like it's going to be, you know, the most exciting topic that anybody feels like working on in marketing ops, right? But it's super important. It's also, you know, required for um, everybody. And it's something that you need to get comfortable with and, and understand how to do, understand the laws. There's just so much that goes into it. So excited to kind of dive into all the details and all the things that we should consider when doing some sort of opt-in compliance program. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I know when we're working with clients, like compliance isn't fun, but a good customer experience is. And yeah. this is an area that we can really make that process exceptional for for clients. Um, and and especially for people who are looking at buying or current customers. If we can make sure that they know that their data is being protected, that they are being thoughtfully marketed to. Uh, it can go a really long way. So that that's something that we should definitely kind of have our hat on uh, today is not just thinking about am I am I fulfilling what needs to be done, but am I doing it in the way that my buyer is going to be most pleased with, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's kind of a, a two-sided coin because you have like, what do I need to do legally, right? <laughs> what do the laws actually say so that we're not um, increasing our risk, you know, um, with doing business with our customers. But then what do we want to do ethically, right? Like what does the experience look like? How do we want to treat our customers or potential customers? Um, and when, you know, what do we need to do in order to make that happen? So, you know, I know a lot of people kind of sometimes put the bare minimum in place of what's legally required of them, but it really can go a lot further than that. And there's still a lot that marketers can do to reach their potential, you know, buyers um, and really create a great experience. So um, hopefully some of our tips today will give some ideas to some people. Fantastic. Well, Joy, let's jump right in. Um, first of all, you know, we, we, we've alluded a little bit to, to the buyer's experience, but yeah. why is an opt-in management and compliance process important for both the organization and your end users? Yeah, I mean, I think we kind of started to highlight it, but I mean, data privacy laws and these regulations are not going away. If anything, they're just going to keep coming. Um, you know, we've seen over the years, a lot of data privacy laws come into the market. So just for some background, I used to work for a data privacy company. We also, I used to work in data security as well. So I feel like it's sort of ingrained in me just to like, want to really understand these regulations and like the impact uh, as a marketer that it has, um, you know, on the marketing team and what we're able to do as a company. So, 
you know, I remember even like getting governors on the phone from different states who are starting to put out different data privacy regulations. And some of that might have to do with email marketing and how you can communicate to somebody. But some of it is how you store their data, um, how you retain their data, um, how you make their data available to them if they were to request and say like, hey, what kind of data do you have on me? And choose, you know, bits and pieces that they may want deleted out of your systems. And do you have the data readily available? Is it, you know, trackable where you even know what systems you have what data, right? Um, and so I got really passionate about it when I worked at that data privacy company. Um, I also was um, doing consulting back when GDPR went into effect as well. And we had a lot of clients coming to us super last minute, like in you know, I think it was May 25th, if I remember the date exactly, to 2018. And in early May, April, you know, we still have people coming to a screen because it's like the enforcement's coming, you know, into into play here soon. Help us set up this. What do we need to do? What do we need to know? Um, and there was a lot to learn, you know, when it, when it came to, um, you know, our clients were trusting us to be able to help them stay compliant. Um, but then again, you have the side of the equation too, where it's not just being compliant, like, what do you want to do ethically, right? And what does your legal team, you know, have an opinion on it? And, you know, what do they feel the level of the risk that they want to take on, you know, as a company? And what are they guiding as your legal counsel? So there's a lot that goes into it. Um, and as marketers, I mean, one thing that we can do is just get really familiar with the laws, right? Like, at the end of the day, it's maybe a little dry material for some of us, but, you know... <laughs> <laughs> um, the more that you are comfortable with it, the more confident you can be in ensuring that you are not only creating something um, where you're being legally compliant, but you also can create that buyer experience. And I find that, um, you know, the better that I understood laws myself, the more I was able to speak to it and be like a leader in the company where I could, you know, um, suggest what we do and, and make recommendations. So it's important. Absolutely. I was I was in-house during that time and I was working so closely with our legal team. Uh, you know, the person that I was working with, she was fantastic. I mean, to the point where she's like she's still like speaking in front of legal teams about nice. data compliance and privacy, right? Like it just became the 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 sole focus of hers. Mm -hmm. And it, it was a lot to do, right? The thing that I was really happy with is that we kind of saw saw the future of, yes, this was only, you know, this was GDPR. This is only impacting the EU. But we, we knew that other things were coming down the pipeline. So it was like, you know what? Let's just build a really good policy. Let's treat it globally. And as soon as other states started to pull things in, as soon as we started talking about Castle, as soon as we started talking about mm -hmm. all these things, it was like we had built such a good program that just applied everywhere that you know we didn't have to make like systematic changes every time that a new state brought something in because we had something that covered pretty well yeah. um and i could only imagine if we if we were trying to build it so it was like well let's just fit this for california let's just fit this for gdpr yeah. let's like it would become so difficult to manage mm -hmm. it's really one of those things that like if you think of uh, very high level, like how do we want to communicate and store data um, on, you know, anybody that we're potentially working with or people we are working with, you know, 
once like and i feel like once gdpr went into effect and people saw like oh like they can actually enforce this uh this is actually working successfully for the people that put this in place right like other countries will definitely follow suit at some point right and if you can't nail down from a country perspective you know like a federal law that's why the states here in the United States are coming out with their own regulations that they're getting approved. I mean, Virginia has come out with stuff, California, you know, there's other states. And even if it doesn't get approved the first time, you know, if those bills are coming, you know, um, coming up and the regulations are being looked at often, it's only a matter of time. <laughs> it, it's not that it won't ever change or that it's going to take years and years. It's just a matter of time. And so, if you set yourself up right from the beginning to really make it flex and work and um, almost already be prepared where it's not going to feel like a big hit to your marketing or something when you have to make changes, like that's the approach I think that we need to take. And I think that's the approach too that will ultimately give that best buyer experience that you're looking for too, you know, like yeah, how do we want to do right by our buyers and how can we operationally set things up and track so that you know we can do that we could provide any information if we get audited like we're clear you know and make it very seamless right let alone avoid fines and all the you know potential major issues that you can deal with down the road so 100 percent. and then and then you also get some added benefit i mean i remember for us it was like well let's clean out the database because we had a bunch of people that we didn't really yep have a strong reason to hold on to well all of a sudden now our our database size was less we had better targeting all of that good stuff so you can find benefits and and i encourage everybody if it's been since 2018 that you have looked at this it's a good time to possibly revisit and be like did we did we set it up the way that we needed to because i know for me we rebuilt our entire program after we had already stood it up because it was just like oh now that we know yeah. some more, let's yeah. let's really try to improve this. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's not just five years time thing, right? Yeah, yeah, that's been five years. Like, that's a long time to, you know, so it is a good time to kind of relook at things. And it's a, to your point, a perfect time to go through some data hygiene, do some data purging, do some enrichment. Do you have a ton of records in your database without country, right? Like, start doing things to get yourself prepared for these regulations that are just going to keep coming onto the market, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the more that you can do now, I remember talking to my talking to teams and I still do it today, right? Is I would, I would rather we start trying to capture opt-in information before these programs go into effect rather than getting blindsided. Yeah. You know, if if you start thinking like the the United States is kind of the the obvious one, right? For the most part, a lot of us are doing implicit opt-ins. It's more of an opt-out sort of mentality. Well, if five years ago you started gathering opt-ins from mm -hmm. the United States people, now you have a database of opt-in folks, which is so much stronger of a database than an implicit sure. database that you're just capturing names and hoping that they don't opt out. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately, it's not just about communicating that with them. It's like, like you said, once you have a strong database where you know these people have opted into you, like those are stronger people to drive pipeline. And at the end of the day, like we all want to drive pipeline and revenue. So, you know, I think it's really positive all the things that can come from setting, you know, a program up like an opt-in compliance program. Um, and, uh, you know, to your point, it's just 
a good time to be able to data hygiene, get your database really clean. It'll help improve your email rates, right? Like, I mean, all together across the board, there's just benefits to getting set up for the future. And you never know if your go-to-market strategy is going to change for the company, right? And so um, maybe you're starting, you know, a PLG strategy or, you know, maybe you're going to, you have expansion plans in five years, you're going to be expanding into Europe or, you know, whatever. And so the sooner that you can get set up and get a structure in place, the better, because you'll be more equipped to deal with, you know, um, less, less uh, hurry up, like, let's hurry up and get this in place, like impact, right? When, when you do expand or you do change strategy. So, because uh, sometimes you can't anticipate that, or maybe you work for a company that acquires other companies, or you're merging with another company, and now all of a sudden you're in a market and working with people that, like, you've never worked with before, you know? Um, so it's just good to plan ahead and know how you're going to roll people into that program on an ongoing basis. Absolutely. That's great. So, so you've sold me. It's important. We've got <laughs> compliance. We've got fines. We have a good customer experience. We have a cleaner database yep. after doing all of this stuff. Um, by the way, we don't have fines after we do this stuff. We avoid the fines after we do this yeah, stuff. That's there you good. go. Um, so, so let's, let's give our listeners some tips. Um, you know, kind of, I think that we're going to focus it from a MOPS perspective, but this is relevant for RevOps teams because this is impacting us from, you know, lead all the way up to cash, all the way up to customers. Mm -hmm. um, so let's, let's give some tips to uh, make sure that the team has something that they can really take back to their organizations, even if they have something in place and maybe even make it better. Yeah. I mean, I think the first tip is just like read up on the laws if you haven't. Like, again, might be dry material, but, you know, just go sit out in the sun warm up your toes and pull up some data privacy laws, <laughs> you know, just get familiar with them and understand how the language is written. Um, and, you know, I've done lots of reading on them, you know, over the years and, um, you know, it helps to, I think, be able to form an opinion on what you may want to suggest to the company or to your legal team for approval um, and will ultimately set the stage for how you actually build out uh, this opt-in, the so-called opt-in program, right? So yeah. I think really getting that understanding under your belt is like first and foremost. And then I think a big thing, which I'll be curious to see what you've seen across maybe your teams or um, clients that you're working with, but a big thing is just alignment, right? You know, a big thing everybody always talks about is marketing and sales alignment, but you think about any kind of tools within marketing or sales or customer success or any kind of tools where we are potentially bringing new people into the database or communicating with people, uh, you're going to need to follow opt-in, opt-out, you know, regulations. So you definitely need to be, you know, in good terms and in alignment and working with those, you know, revenue teams um, to be able to be on the same page. Like if somebody opts out and outreach your sales loft over here, are you going to also opt them out of, you know, your marketing automation platform emails or like, you know, how are you going to handle that? And then let's say customer success is on the phone with the customer and they say, Hey, like, I would really like to, you know, unsubscribe from this thing and they update it in the CRM. Is that going to communicate to the other tools that need to know that? Right. So I think alignment between those teams and just communication is super important or, you know, you may miss things because it's ultimately we, we kind of talk about marketing ops, but it's not just a marketing ops thing. It's, it's a company thing. So 
I think marketing ops has a seat to lead the discussion um, and put forth recommendations, but it's definitely not just within marketing ops and you're definitely going to need to bring other teams into the equation. Have you kind of seen that across your clients too? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we ju I just did a opt-in preference center project where we were, our primary objective was to take like, like you say, outreach, Marketo, Salesforce, get all of these pieces mm -hmm. aligned. And then we launched and then the next month, uh, you know, one of the pr people that was on that team was like, hey, by the way, I'm bringing in another tool that's going to communicate with end users. Mm -hmm. so now we got to pull that team in mm -hmm. and and start to work on, you know, making sure that all of the plumbing is working together. Mm -hmm. um, and that and that's key, right? It, our I think that like what's top of mind for me, I can only speak to myself, um, is the communication side of things. But it's it's also how are you processing that data? What's mm -hmm. what data is being stored? Where is it being located? So if you start bringing in other tools that start having their own databases of your end mm -hmm. users, you need to make sure that that's a part of whatever process that you have for right to be forgotten or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, informing people where their data is at. Uh, because if you start working on yeah. this tool on the side that the rest of the team isn't aware of, you could have big problems. So that could be a marketing side, that could be customer success, that could be product, that could be a whole mm. multitude of teams. Yeah, it's a maybe big, big process. BI, you know, data science stuff too, right? Like mm -hmm. we're bringing your data into our data warehouse and then it goes here to be cleansed and normalized and then it goes here. And, you know, that's all processing of PII information, right? Like yeah. <laughs> it's, it's important to know where it goes. And um, I also think too, from, you know, certain industries that have other types of regulations like HIPAA, um, you know, a lot of healthcare um, tech companies and stuff. I've even seen like in Marketo where they have completely different, you know, siphoned off uh, partitions of um, and workspaces and things like that, where, they're keeping data completely separate so that they don't accidentally miscommunicate in some way. Um, but yeah, all those tech stack is super, super important. I mean, one thing that I have done in the past that I think is really helpful. And actually I even did this in-house when I worked at that data privacy company, I'd work with legal counsel. And I mean, it's as simple as like a Google sheet, right? Where you track, here's all of our MarTech. Here's all the types of PII that we might collect on that person right? Here's what we do with it. Here's how we know who we communicate with and who we don't. Um, and what fields are actually marking, you know, marking in the system, what kind of values are available and stuff. And uh, our legal counsel there, like, you know, had me go through and fill all that out because he was the leader of our data governance committee. And it was like, he oversees like all the data, right? And so, um, you know, not every company is going to have like a data governance committee, although, highly recommended and definitely be a leader and start that up <laughs> if you need to. But I mean, it's important to know just period where you are storing data and how you're using it. And, um, you know, just having a simple tracker that he knew, like he didn't, he didn't know what Marketo did and what, what we did in there other than emailing. Right. And so, but there's a lot of operational processing and things that we're doing, you know, within all of the systems. And so it's important to kind of gain alignment and keep track of that. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Broaden your team for this. This is not something that you can solve by yourself. This is not something that the marketing team can solve by itself. Mm -hmm. it takes an entire organization. Um, and 
it was very I, f I felt like it was pretty easy to get executive buy-in when there was a threat of four million dollars or this amount of your revenue blah blah yeah blah. make sure that we we continue to reiterate that like like just because something's in place doesn't mean that we're necessarily following it so it's it, it's always a good time to kind of revisit and make sure that we are indeed fulfilling what we need because in five years a lot has been learned around that law you know mm -hmm. It's a lot of unknowns. Like we got to kind of see how it's going to be processed. So, yep, I think everybody was waiting at this, the, the edge of their seat, waiting to see like who the first find was going to be like, you know, in the news, like who's the first big person that got docked for, you know, not following the rules and <laughs> just kind of waiting to see where the apples fall, you know? Yep. Yep. 100%. Um, I always like to like to approach these types of projects just first coming to the table with something kind of prepared, right? So yeah. that way we ensure that we have the right buyer's experience. Mm -hmm. um, how do you recommend our marketing ops partners and rev ops partners kind of approach this? Do we, do we go to legal and say, hey, what's the minimum? What's the risk that you want to take on? Mm -hmm. Do we come with a full project? Uh, you know, what, what have you found to, to work pretty well? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely having a plan in place helps. I mean, I love a good flow chart. You can definitely flow chart out, you know, knowing and documenting all your incoming sources of, you know, where data is intaking, where you know you need to have um, the right opt-in or opt-out, you know, procedures in place and, you know, be able to really show that experience and be able, and if you haven't mapped out your buyer experience yet, I know we talk about that in a different episode that you and I have done in the past um, and we could... Um, potentially link that out. But yeah, map out your buyer experience, map out all those incoming points and map out any kind of data processing points and what system it is, as well as any communication points. And, you know, you can broadly tell, you know, which like we know Germany is going to require a double opt-in, right? right? But I did have a client once that actually had like a list of like 20 countries they wanted to be double opt-in. And it's like, hey, cool, if that's what your legal counsel wants, like we'll set that up. Um, so it really depends, but I think coming with at least what you know to be the bare minimum that will create that great buyer experience and presenting that to them, because oftentimes it's just a review and then they're like, yep, we feel good about that level of risk and, you know, go ahead and move forward. But if you were to go to your legal counsel and just say, what do you recommend? They're just going to tell you what the law is, right? Like they know what the law says they can interpret the law they can determine what they feel the right level of risk is and like that's they're going to be their opinion right but it's actually us in these revenue teams that need to do the hard work of like seeing where that fits in from an experience perspective and how we actually operationalize that to make that actually come to life um and that way as long as legal feels like you know we're covering our bases for if we get audited or somebody requests the right to be forgotten or you know somebody just asks a question or whatever that we've we've got all those scenarios kind of thought out so um you know it definitely takes some some strategic prep <laughs> i would say to kind of map things out appropriately but um it also probably doesn't need to get super in the weeds with legal as long as they understand what you're going for you know then you can work with the appropriate teams internally to get all the right fields set up in your in your instance and make sure that you agree on the you know pick list that you're using for consent status and you know where people are consenting in and 
you know, things like that. So um, that's kind of where I'd start. That's great. Um, just briefly, in case if somebody hasn't had the opportunity to, you know, lead one of these uh, initiatives, maybe they've inherited their their instance. What are some common statuses that you've seen um, to represent various opt-in? Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, is that right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you have your checkbox on your forms, right, and people are explicitly checking the box, we usually call that a explicit opt-in. Um, and because there are countries that require double opt-in, meaning you check the box and then you get a confirmation email and now need to say, yes, in fact, that was me, confirm me. Um, we call that explicit single or explicit double for when they're explicitly checking the box saying, yep, opt me in. I want to receive these communications. There's also implicit opt-in. That may be people that are like, hey, we just market to the U.S. We just do business in the U.S. And, you know, everything is kind of contained within. We're just going to take the opt-out mentality. Maybe they're marking people as implicit opt-in, right? They're implicitly opted in until they decide they wish to opt out. Um, there are some other ones that you can do um, that are related to Canada's anti-spam legislation or CASEL, as we like to call it, C-A-S-L. Um, and so, you know, there's inquiry consent so if somebody wants to fill out a form uh for contact us or a demo request and they're explicitly raising their hand to say contact me now um you do have six months to be able to market to them um sort of a they call it inquiry consent but it's sort of like a temporary implicit opt-in basically but if they don't explicitly opt-in within that six month window you do need to opt them back out um and then also for uh, existing business relationships, so customers or potentially partners, you have a longer window um, for Castle. You do have two years, but within those two years, if again, they don't explicitly opt in within that window of time, you no longer have that opt in and you have to opt them out. So, um, you know, you can kind of take it that level deeper as well. Um, those are some of the typical ones that I've seen. You know, when you're looking at double opt-in, one status that you might have is like pending explicit, right? Like they're still pending that second step, right? They did the first thing, but they checked the box, but they haven't clicked that confirmation email yet. And those people are just, uh, should be like, like a Marketo, they call it marketing suspended, right? Where you, you're not, it's because the system's going to block them from being able to be emailed until they hit that double opt-in confirmation. And so it's sort of like this, like, uh, I was going to say purgatory, but I don't think that's the right word, but, <laughs> but it's like, it's, spot, it's like right? this holding tank that they're just in, right? <laughs> so that's better. A holding tank that you really can't do anything with those people until they hit the double opt-in, right? So yeah, um, yeah, those are some of the statuses that, that I'd look at. Absolutely. Um, and then, and then I know one that we're going to talk about in the future is, is this unknown bucket. The people that get into our database and we're like, did they opt in? Did they not opt in? You need to be able to have a place yeah. for those folks, right? Uh, yeah. I think that a lot of our offline activities take place there. And then just a, a lot of our integrations, right? Whether it be with a vendor or something like that. Yeah, because you, I mean, ideally you would have country coming in off of, you know, any source. Uh, but let's be realistic, that doesn't 100% always happen. And if you don't know their country, you can't assume opt-in. You can't 
just say, oh, I have their implicit opt-in because we don't know where they are. Because um, right. you don't. You don't know where they are. They could be in Germany, which requires double opt-in, right? Like, you can't just assume. So um, even if it's, you know, like a U.S. trade show, you can't assume that that person actually resides and, you know, works in the U.S. So, um, you know, you've you've got to have that unknown bucket for uh, people that are missing country or just, like, sources that you, you know, you may miss uh, and you didn't think of or you have a new... Uh, data entry source that comes up later that you forgot to add in so it's good to kind of keep an eye on that unknown bucket absolutely good um so what are some other tips that we want to dive into we've talked about mapping it out which i absolutely agree with just being able to visualize it is super helpful especially when bringing other people on um what about like the website what's a good approach on the website yeah. So, I mean, you've got forms on your website. You need to be able to have an opt-in checkbox on there. Most laws are going to require that to be unchecked. So you cannot pre-check the checkbox. In a lot of marketing automation systems, you have the option to pre-check it if you want. Uh, but I would never suggest that. You always want to uncheck it, you know, have the box available for somebody to opt into along with a little language next to it of what they're opting into so they fully understand what they're doing when they check that box. And probably a link to your privacy policy as well, right? So yeah. that if they want to go check out more details before opting in, that they can. Um, you know, I know some some customers, like some clients will look at US and whether they check it or not, they're still going to just assume implicit until they opt out. Again, uh, some companies though that I work with like are very global and even for us, if they do not check the box, they do not market to them. So it really just depends on your legal counsel's advices and their appetite for risk, but, um, definitely need to have that on there and then just ensure too, that your privacy policy is updated. And if you have an unsubscribe page or a preference center available, um, oftentimes they, can be linked within the privacy policy as well. So if somebody, you know, finds it and they, they want to, you know, subscribe. Um, I do find though that if you link it in the privacy policy, every once in a while you'll find new records coming in your database off of the preference center form or off of the unsubscribe form because they're maybe putting in some other kind of variation of their email that wasn't the exact wording of how their email already exists in the system. So keep an eye on that. But see yeah. that so often. And they're the people who are upset the most and you empathize with them, right? Yeah. They've been trying to opt out, but they keep on like, you don't realize that it's being forwarded to an alias or that they had right. a typo in the name or anything like that. So mm -hmm. always good when you can make sure that you do that due diligence, find out yeah. what they're actually trying to unsubscribe from. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I, I feel for marketers who are trying to meet their goals. They're trying to get the most out of their database, right? So I, I understand the implicit, the desires to do this, the desires to try and figure out how can I bend the rules as much as possible to get in front of as many people as possible. I've had some tough conversations both ways. And mm -hmm. I wish it's go back to at the end of the day. Yeah, you can you can try and increase that, but but we talk about it all the time. Like you need to you need to target people who are interested in it. Right. If they if they've either had a process of not opting into your communication, even though you offered it, 
or heaven forbid opting out and trying to figure out how else can I get in front of this person? It's like, they're not interested. So focus where you know that you have interest and make that experience super good. And you can build up your audience that way and and find other ways to get in front of those teams, social display, all of the pieces that we have uh, at our disposal. I mean, that's why marketing teams, you know, try to just drive demand, right? Because driving demand is different than lead generation, you know? And if you aren't going to get the people opting in um, as a lead, at least drive demand so that you can continue to get people to your site to explicitly, hopefully opt in and decide to communicate with you, right? And then that's also why people do ABM, right? Account-based marketing. And they're doing a lot of outbound efforts that are not just email, right? Where they can pick up the phone and just try to prospect and stuff. So, um, you know, definitely there's options out there. It's not, you know, it's, it's not the end of the world if uh, you aren't able to email as many people as you thought you were going to be able to, right? Because um, emailing the right people versus just emailing everybody because you are looking at volume is two different things. Two way different things. Absolutely. Good. Um, what do we do from like a, from like a marketing automation platform CRM perspective? Yeah. I mean, this is a good time to update your data dictionary because you're going to need some new fields created. (laughs) Uh, You know, thinking through all the different fields and field types that you're going to need, right? Because you're going to need like date time stamps for when, you know, consent changes happen. You're going to need that opt-in status, you know, field where you can track the status. A lot of my clients use like an opt-in source field as well. So they know like, oh, they were opted in via a content form on the website or the contact us form or our newsletter sign up or this or that or the other thing. Right. Um, I personally also love having like a historical um, consent notes field, I call it. And this actually I set up, uh, which it it works really easily in in Marketo using um, tokens, uh, lead tokens. So you can actually track consent changes over time. So if today I opted in and then later I unsubscribe and then Later, I come back and change my mind, want to re-opt in or whatever. All of those like consent status changes and the date and times are basically um, uh, added together with semicolons and lead tokens and stuff like that. And it's just like one big, huge, long text area field. And that I always felt was really important. So if the company got audited or whatever, you have like a full view. So you don't just have the current consent you know, information, you have all other consent changes over time. So, so I like having fields like that too, just to kind of keep track of things long-term. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a series of fields that you're going to need created. And most of the time you're going to want them in your CRM and your marketing automation platform. So if you're working with uh, Salesforce and Marketo, let's say you're going to want to create those in Salesforce and let them sync back to Marketo so that your data isn't just in your um, marketing automation platform, you definitely don't want that. You want it kind of, most people do it in their CRM because it's sort of their system of truth, right? And a lot of the integrations connect through there, right? Uh, but you need to be able to make sure that any of the systems where you might have a consent change, you're going to be able to, you know, flip the switch and you're going to be able to visibly see those data value changes in, in each of the systems. Um, Makes sense. So yeah, start with that. Um, also just make sure that um, you actually have at least a bare minimum of an unsubscribe page in your marketing automation platform um, or, um, well, as a landing page or a page on your website, right? Um, or a preference center. You know, I know 
you and I have both done preference center projects with clients and stuff like that. Um, I think the biggest key about the preference center is it can create a really great buyer experience for people to choose what they want to opt into or opt out. But you also need to follow the the preferences that people select in the preference center, right? You know, it's not just there for looks. And I have seen, you know, a lot of time go into preference center projects and then the clients don't, you know, the they don't really follow it. And it's like, well, if you're going to offer these preferences, you need to adhere by them, right? Don't just email the person because you want a bigger list for this send or that thing when it's not something they actually chose to opt into. So um, that's kind of my two cents on preference centers. But I've seen some really slick ones that are a really great experience. But again, the most important thing is you actually adhere to what those preferences are, um, not so much what it looks like. Agreed. Yes. Um I'm just gonna I'm just gonna speak to it right now. I I love when companies proactively send out those messages of like, hey, Father's Day is coming up. If you want to be excluded from mm. marketing communications because it's not easy for you, or Mother's Day, or whatever holiday, I like that because it's like it's like a very purpose driven preference center, <laughs> temporary. But you're like you're showing that you're trying to make the right buyer experience for somebody, and that that could be an opportunity for you depending on what it is. Um. I know that that's sort of a sidetrack, but as I think about preferences, it's like you're really just trying to build the right experience. But once again, you have to then adhere to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think just like start more simple, like don't create 20 categories because like, A, I don't know if somebody's going to spend the time to look at all that and really choose. Right. They're just going to instead just unsubscribe all. Um, Or if you... uh, not only have like the complexity of a lot of different types of categories, like that means that you are segmenting your emails that nuanced, right? Right. And if you aren't, like just be more general with it. Like, do you want event information? Do you want product information? Do you want this? Like three options, you know, like don't, don't go way too far into the, you know, very nuanced situation. If that's actually not, how you are segmenting within marketing agreed agreed well good um joy we're coming up near the end of our time i do want to end uh as we should end all projects and that is with a wonderful dashboard i know that you and your team have been building out some really great dashboards for clients um as you think about gdpr or compliance and a dashboard sometimes that's like what really uh, but any tips for folks who may want to create some more visibility into how those programs are working? Yeah, I mean, you can really create a dashboard for most anything. So GDPR opt-in stuff is no different. I mean, you have a set of fields, right? So you can create a report and throw things into a dashboard. So, you know, I personally, we kind of mentioned on it earlier, but one of the biggest benefits that I love being able to see in a dashboard um, is it just makes monitoring super easy. Um, you just click of a button, refresh the dashboard, and now you can see your current numbers. And I like to look at the opt-in status, um, you know, counts, and keep an eye, uh, especially on like a month-by-month um, overtime basis in your in your dashboard because you can see trends, right? And if it's like, oh gosh, why in June did we get this huge influx of un- people marked as unknown, right? Like maybe we had a new data source we didn't count for. Did we forget to put country on a list import or, you know, whatever it was. And so you can kind of pinpoint a lot of those things and go back and make 
make batch updates and make the corrections so that moving forward, you know, everything is accounted for and everything. So I like to keep an eye on that, but I do like to kind of look at it like trending. Um, so you can really see like what your opt-in and opt-out stuff is uh, month over month. Um, you know, you can uh, decide to, you know, even do a different marketing strategy off of it, right? What type of campaigns you put in market and how you're communicating and, oh my gosh, like, we received way influx of opt-outs this month. Like, why was that? What did we do? Let's go back and look at some of the campaigns we put in the market. Like, what would have driven, you know, drove like this huge influx, right? And so it's a good way to kind of draw some analysis, go back and ask questions to revisit your strategy um, and, you know, take a look at that. So, um, you know, you'll be able to draw those month over month comparisons in a dashboard because you've got your date time fields, right? Like you've got all the right fields set up and, you know, it just makes it very easy to kind of draw some conclusions from and make some decisions like, like any dashboard should. Absolutely. I mean, it's there to help you monitor. It's there to help you optimize. Yep. And and that's the goal, right, is to make sure that we're communicating people effectively in ways that they want to be communicated to. And this is a program that gives you a lot of visibility into that for sure. Yep. Joy, if there was one key takeaway for our audience, what do you want somebody to leave with today? Yeah, I mean, just don't be afraid to understand the law, um, to audit your existing program. Go do it right now. Like, go go audit, right? And if the audit is, oh no, this doesn't exist, right? <laughs> let's let's get some understanding in place and get it set it up. Um, but if it does exist, um, you know, maybe the starting point is if you feel like it's pretty sound, go and make one of those dashboards, right? I mean, maybe that's your takeaway and do some monitoring, see how you may want to optimize or what you may need to tweak in your strategy to move forward. So depending on where you're at, if you're at ground zero, or you feel really good and strong about it and you've already kind of been there, done that with your legal counsel and, and all your revenue teams, like just go, you know, start auditing and do a little monitoring and, and create a cadence around that monitoring too. You know, don't just do it once and then forget about it because there are new data tools, there's new integrations, there's new data sources, there's new everything and, you know, coming out all the time and you, you don't want to miss any points of entry or anything like that. So definitely create a cadence and keep it going ongoing. Well, Joy, as always, thank you. Um, this was fantastic information. I think super helpful for anybody. If you're an expert in compliance, GDPR, built out five, five of these programs in the past, or if you're brand new and you're approaching this for the very first time, I think that I think that our audience has been able to get something out of it. So thank you so much for sharing your ex expertise and your experience as well. So, Thanks for having me. You have been listening to the Revenue Growth Architects podcast by CS2. Today, we talked about compliance and all things opt-in and opt-out. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated, and it helps us get in front of more people. Thank you very much, and have a great day.